Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. Welcome to the vineyard. Been gone a week or so. It's good to be back, but we're glad you've joined us. And uh, we're just thrilled that whether you're here, whether you're in Sullivan, whether you're Bloomington, watching online, we're glad to have you as we conclude our series entitled Clean Living, Sustainable Spirituality. Our focus has been the conscience, talking about having a clean conscience, and we want to have it sustainable. We want it to go for a long, long time. You know, that's a real hot word, and you have to use all the hot words nowadays, but sustainable really is good when it comes to your conscience, because we want to not only do it today, but we want to do it tomorrow and the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Well, we've had some great messages so far. Die started by talking about salvation brings you a clean heart, clean conscience. Putty said there's a voice of your head, the voice of your heart. Voice of your heart, that's your conscience. Julie gave us some real tweetable moments last week when she said it's love over law and people over preference. Put those on Twitter. You'll look really good. People retweet you. You'll be famous. We've been defining the conscience as a gift from God, our God-given capacity of a person to be, um, of what a person believes to be right or wrong. Not the voice of your heart. It's not your conscience. Or it, I'm not... It's not the voice of the spirit. Your conscience and those are two different things. We'll see that in just a moment. But again, it's your God-given capacity of what a person believes to be right or wrong. So it's from God. It helps you determine right or wrong. Um, and we'll see how it goes and, and why it needs to be trained in just a moment. I want to start a, a message entitled Clean Living for Life. And our Opening goal is stated very clearly by the Apostle Paul in Acts 23, verse 1. So I want to read that because it'll give you a context of where I want to head, to head with this message. It says, Paul fixed his eyes on members of the council and said, My brothers, up to this day I have lived my life before God with a perfectly clear conscience. Wow, what a powerful statement. It's really interesting if you stop and think Paul, who was originally known as Saul, was a terrorist killing Christians. Now, in reality, and I don't want to divert the message here, he was probably living with a clean conscience when he killed Christians. You know, that's what he thought he should do. Fortunately, he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He gets a clean heart, clean conscience. Uh, that. Uh, changed his life entirely. He began to see things differently. Never me doesn't mean he never made a mistake, but he knew how to keep a clean conscience. Th thus, he could make the statement, I have lived my life before God with a perfectly clear conscience. Didn't say for the last week. Didn't say for the last month. He said, I have lived my life. I think, wow, I'd like to do that. That'd be a worthy goal for me. How about you? Would you like that? Well, I would, because you, have, you basically you know, have a choice. You, you can live with a clean conscience, or you can live um, you know, with a situation that you're full of turmoil and all kinds of things going on. Nobody wants that. 
So we all want to live with a clean conscience. We say that, but we don't always do it. So let's dive in and see what the Lord has to say about uh, how we could do this in a righteous way. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, show us what conscience is all about. It's your gift to us. Show us how to train it, how to walk in it, how to be fruitful with it, and how to have everything uh, flowing in unison with your spirit so that we can live abundant lives and lives that are full of um, just a clear conscience and a pure heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, interestingly, if you're going to do this, let's just kind of lay some groundwork about how much our conscience needs training. When we're born, we don't have a conscience as we would define it. We have the, the potential of a conscience, but a little baby doesn't know right or wrong. So they'll do strange things. They'll do good things. They're, they're unaware of it. They need training. And it's our choice whether we want to train it or just live with a guilty conscience. And nobody really wants to do that. So the wise thing is to do is train it. And training... Uh, always requires somebody more mature than you to help train you. Parents, that's part of our job, is to train our children up in the ways of the Lord. Uh, those of us that are more mature in the Lord is to help train new believers. It, it's the same concept because if we don't train, we're likely to live with consciences that aren't very well defined or aren't biblically oriented. You know, quite frankly, to show you that conscience need training, the terrorists that flew into the 9-11, uh, into the buildings, they probably were following their conscience. But it wasn't trained in, a, trained in a context that we would call Christian. They obviously have a different faith and that kind of thing. So if we're going to have a conscience, we have to train according to something. We only need to learn some principles out of the Bible. We need to understand some standards of what's expected. And it takes some, some training. Let me tell you how my training got started in real earnest. I was about three or four, and um, I remember going with my dad. We were farm people, and my dad would often drive to the grain elevator to do business, and at the elevator was a little room where they had a basket of peanuts that were set out. Everybody could eat as many as you want, throw the shells on the floor. It was just wonderful. You didn't have to work. You got free food, and you got to hang out with dad. My mom also took me to the grocery store, and I can still see this grocery store. Uh, believe it or not, I'm old enough to remember storefront grocery stores. It was three stores down from the only stoplight in town, and um, it was about 20 feet wide and about 60 feet deep and had two aisles in it. And the back aisle on the left side was a basket, a bushel basket of peanuts. Well, these people got the message too, and I'm sitting there eating peanuts, throwing the shells on the floor. <laughs> My mom saw that. I still feel the yank on my arm was so hard, I had shoulder displacement, I think, <laughs> took me over to the owner and said, my son here has been eating your peanuts. I want him to apologize to you and will offer to pay. Well, I had to say all that. And the guy gave me a kind of a frown look. I'm sure he was probably laughing on the inside. But I couldn't read, so I was really innocent. But, you know, be that as it may, I got taken home and explained the difference between peanuts for sale and peanuts that were available for guests to enjoy. And I, from that point on, realized that stealing was just absolutely wrong. It just locked into my heart. I could repeat the story verbatim. I could make a film of it. You'd think that would be enough to keep me for life. Except I come to college when I'm 18. I'm mad about who God is. I don't want anything to do with him. I think I'll run away from God here at the University of Illinois. 
and I won't have any more problems, and on and on and on. Well, I got into fraternity life, and I became party central my junior and senior year, and my fraternity brothers kept coming to my apartment and messing up all the time. I had to pay to get it cleaned up, and so I decided the fraternity has plenty of cleaning supplies. I'll just borrow some cleaning supplies from the fraternity house, bring them to my apartment, and keep my place clean. I mean, after all, they were using it, and they were making the mess. Thought, you know, um, that just sounds like a good deal to me. My fraternity brothers saw it as stealing. I got called up to a console and fined and told to stop doing it. Because, you know, I had convinced myself I was just borrowing. Um, it wasn't stealing. I was just using them to help my fraternity. It was an annex to the house and on and on. What was I doing? I was ignoring my conscience. My conscience said all the time, that's stealing. But I just said, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyhow. The end justifies the means. Now, I understand none of you have this, but people that live in Champaign-Urbana might at times move into a new house, and the Internet happens to still be on, and you think, wow, what a miracle. I don't have to pay for Internet. <laughs> I understand that some people might go to Walmart and think, you know, the heirs of Walmart are really, really rich, like worth 25 to $50 billion each, and you know, they won't mind if I slip a few things unpaid into my pockets or my purse. You know, we, we rationalize the end justifies the means so quickly, and our conscience gets run over. It, it's standing there screaming at us, but we just ignore it. Now, fortunately, a few years later, I met Jesus Christ, and he gave me a clean heart, a clean conscience, and wonderful, wonderful gifts. Uh, to this day, I've reverted back to my age three and four lessons. I don't have to pray about whether or not to steal. If I see something laying around, I'll work really hard to get it back to the rightful owner. Just, I have little quirks about that. I'm, I'm fanatic about trying to get things uh, to the right place. I, I, don't, I, I don't steal. My conscience is locked. I don't have to pray. Should I go in there and not steal today? You know, it's just locked in. I know. Now, I have conscience problems in other areas, but not that one. <laughs> no, so having said that, I mentioned that people can ignore their conscience. Well, Paul gives us a tremendously strong warning about ignoring conscience. And let me tell you something. At age 70, I've seen a lot of ignored consciences over the years. Pastoring over 40 years, I've watched people that didn't follow their conscience. It doesn't end well for them. Just in general, the rule is obey your conscience and have a good life. Ignore your conscience and get in trouble. You know that little verse, Romans 14, 17, we often quote around here, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you know that comes out of Romans 14, and Romans 14 is all about your conscience? So you want to live in righteousness, peace, and joy, decide that you're going to go with your conscience, because your conscience is probably more right than that crazy idea you just came up with that gets you in trouble. But here's Paul's warning over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's his number one spiritual son. They're probably a generation apart. And Timothy is by now off in Ephesus. Uh, you know, there's the book of Ephesus written to the Ephesians. He's in that city. The church is roughly 50,000 big. He's leading it, and he's a little overwhelmed. So Paul writes him some things. And look what he says in verse 19 and 20. He says, cling to your faith and keep your conscience clear. Those are two pretty pointed statements, aren't they? For some people have deliberately violated their consciences, in other words, ignored it, and as a result, their faith has shipwrecked. Now, I don't know what you think shipwrecked is, but most shipwrecked means that the boat is busted and you're floating in the water, and probably the sharks are swimming nearby. 
Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out, handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. So he warns us here, cling to your faith. All of Christianity is about our faith. We can't see God. We believe in him by faith. We can't uh, grab the promises off a shelf. We have to receive them by faith. We can't walk in righteousness. We receive it by faith. Okay, I mean, we can't, when I say we can't walk in righteousness, we can't just go to the store and buy righteousness. No, we receive righteousness by faith. So again, uh, protect it. And one way you protect it is you keep your conscience clear. Your conscience is like those little warning lights on your car that say, you know, fix me, right? Don't be one of those people with black tape over your warning lights. I know a lot of college kids do that because they have old cars and they get tired of that warning light being on, just put a little black tape and it's fine. It probably won't be fine. And sometimes the warning light doesn't mean much, but it can cost you a little bit. So keep your conscience clear. You know, your conscience is trained, how? Through the Bible, through godly times in, in church gatherings, people getting together. It's trained by the Holy Spirit. It's trained through wisdom that you've learned. It's trained through insights that you've gleaned through life. Just in general, your spirit, your, the, the spirit within you is going to try to train your conscience to do things godly and in an appropriate way. But if you were going to shipwreck, how would it happen? Well, you would deliberately violate your conscience. We, we don't know exactly the whole story of Hymenaeus and Alexander, but it's thought that they started violating theological ideas that Paul was preaching. These two guys are mentioned elsewhere in the, in the New Testament. We assume they're the same people, but if that's true, they would have walked with Paul and been excited at one point. And then they drifted away. Why? They obviously started to ignore their conscience. They weren't listening. You say, yeah, 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 that's 2,000 years ago. Do people still do that day? All the time. Take a young couple that's dating. They're godly. They have good consciences, and they, they know it's right, but they're not firm on everything, and in the moment of heat and passion, they start to cross lines in, in their sexual relationship. First time, their conscience say, this is really bad. The second time, the conscience says, this is bad. And the next time, the conscience might say, you probably shouldn't do this. But it just gets lesser and lesser and lesser until after about 10, 20 times. You know, it actually says this in the Passion Translation in 1 Timothy 4, 2. You can get to where your conscience won't bother you at all. What have you done? You have so ground off the edge of your conscience. You have seared it, dulled it, ignored it. And at this point, you're just pretty much doing your own thing, but you're headed toward trouble or shipwreck. Let's go back to this Hymenaeus and Alexander for a moment. Again, we don't know what they did, but they took steps to dull their conscience over and over and over. And finally, they get to the point where they no longer embrace the faith. It gets a little confusing, and it's very theological here when it says that he handed them over to Satan. It's a phrase that basically is used elsewhere in the New Testament where the church pulls back from people and let you on your own, and now you're out there battling, and Satan has more of an opportunity to come after you. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you anymore. He actually wants you to wake up and retrace your steps, repent, if you will. You were headed that way. He wants you to repent, which simply means turn and go the other way. He wants you to be aware of that and come back into full relationship. Here's the very, very sad thing about the issue of shipwrecking. Very few people in my, under, in, in my 
uh, time as pastor, once they've shipwrecked their faith, come back and have a fruitful Christian life again. It's not impossible. God's not trying to keep you out. It's just pride enters in, your heart's grown cold. You create the problem, not them, not, not God. So don't do that. When your warning signs are going off, pay attention to them. Listen to what he's saying. So let's look at how we could have sustainable, clean conscience for a long time. Go with me over to 1 Timothy 1.5, and this is a verse for about five years. I've looked at closely. I meditate on it. I pray this over myself a lot. 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul again is writing to his spiritual son. He said, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Boy, he said a mouthful there. And I want to take some time here and pull that apart. The purpose of why I'm writing you is because I want you to be filled with love. Everybody says, oh, yeah, Christianity is all about love. But love's not some wispy sort of, you know, I love pizza and I love uh, fast cars and I love this and I love that. No, love is the God kind of love. He wants us to walk in that and to be uh, known for that. It comes from three aspects. It comes from a pure heart. You know, if, if you're not born again, you really can't walk in the love that Christ has. He transforms our heart. He gives us a clear conscience. He gives us love inside of our heart so that through the love in us, we can love others. Through his love in us, we love others. You probably won't love each other very well if it's all you. We're selfish. We're so self-focused. If, if you haven't ever made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, uh, I'll give you an offer at the end that you can't refuse, all right? But I want to skip the, the one on conscience and go to genuine faith for a moment. Listen closely, because the next moments I'm going to give you a hint why some of your prayers don't get answered. Faith is the confidence in things we hope for. Notice that word confidence? Faith is the, hope, is the confidence of things. Confidence is vital. It's the confidence that when we pray heaven will come to earth. It's the confidence when we pray that the blessings of God will flow into our lives. It's confidence that when we ask something, God will hear us. Okay? Now here's what happens when we don't have a clear conscience. A clear conscience puts something between us and the person we're asking from. Uh, you know, if we don't have a clear conscience, if we have a guilty conscience. T- take Di and I. We've been married almost 48 years once or twice in that time, we've actually had an argument. <laughs> actually, my conscience tells me right now, that's not the truth. Uh, we've had maybe an argument once a day, let's say. Maybe every other day. But if Di and I have a guilty conscience toward each other, and I ask her for a favor at any level, it's probably not going to go well until... I clear the, the deck, so to speak. It might be I need to apologize. It might need I need to do something that she asked me to do, or vice versa with, with her to me. So I don't have confidence at that moment that I can ask her something. Got it? Now, if you don't have confidence, if, if you violate your conscience, now you have something that you think God's upset with you about. God's actually crazy in love with you, but you start thinking, well, God is really mad at me Therefore, I can't go to him. Therefore, you have no confidence. Therefore, you won't ask in faith. Did you hear what I said? 
1 John 3, verses about 20 to 22, says the same thing. It says something, if we don't feel guilty, we can come with bold confidence. Isn't that interesting? Well, lots of people feel guilty. The way you treated a friend, the way you said something to somebody, the way your work habits are, whatever. We feel guilty about them. Therefore, we lost confidence. And when you don't have confidence in asking God, then you don't have faith because faith is the confidence that what we hope for, we're going to receive. See how it all works together? Paul, Paul's onto something here. And um, I think if you meditate on this, it, it will, it'll go a long way. It, it helps you understand why sometimes we think, well, I have faith, I believe, I did everything right, but you have a guilty conscience. And then you struggle to receive the things you're asking for. Well, let me wrap this up in the next... Uh, 10 minutes or so with giving you three things that I think will be real helpful for you to live if you want to have a long-term clean conscience. First thing, obey your conscience immediately. He says to do something, just, okay, I'm going to do it. And this can be good or bad. You know, um, the... uh, Dave Newcomb is a former pastor around here. He's an older guy. He sits down in here Saturday nights, usually sometimes in first service. You know, he had picked up leukemia. And um, we've all been praying for him and everything. And then one day his son-in-law told me that uh, he also had pneumonia and he was supposed to die from the pneumonia within two days. And I felt the con- my conscience say, uh, Happy, go pray for him immediately. So I, I don't usually pray for people, not because I don't like to pray for people. I do, but we have a wonderful hospital prayer team. There are pastors that pray way better in that hospital than me, but I just knew the Lord told me to go. So I dropped everything, went up, prayed for him, and uh, pray, prayed a little prayer and, and left. He was unconscious when I got there, and I went back home and had such great faith that I expected the next day or so I'd hear that he'd passed away. Three days I hadn't heard anything, so I called the son I said, what happened? He said, oh, he's up and around. He's doing well. And I said, what do you mean he's doing well? Well, no, he's totally healed. And uh, I said, really? And he was not only healed of the uh, pneumonia, he was healed of every trace of cancer. He has uh, actual, uh, actual proof of MRIs that showed that. And I, I'm stunned. But that, that was obeying a conscience in a good thing. And I'm not saying it was my prayer. Lots of us prayed. But it was one piece that God wanted done. I obeyed. All you have to do is obey and then watch what God will do. So follow your conscience. On the other hand, the Bible speaks of honoring your leaders. I've been a national vineyard leader for over 30 years. But I have leaders above me. And I haven't always treated them appropriately. Friends did do something I didn't like. Instead of doing the right thing, going talking to them one-on-one, I'd tell you what I thought about what they'd done. Well, that's wrong. And my conscience got on me, and I had to go and ask their forgiveness. See, so quickly we get ourselves in, in the wrong spot. Whenever there's two people involved, there's always going to be getting in the wrong spot. The issue isn't that you got in the wrong spot. It's what do you do about it? Go make it right. And if they're believers, uh, they're, they're going to work with you and help you to uh, get back on track. Clear your conscience. And, you know, when uh, you have all kinds of other decisions, just do what the Lord tells you to do. How about you, 
you meet somebody and you're supposed to share your faith or pray for them. You ever not done it and walked away and felt bad? Okay. So the next time you get that situation, remember what he said, do it. He wants you to do it. You don't know what's going to come out of it. Something amazing could happen. And, and be, be ready. Or how about the Lord says there's an opportunity to serve and you think, I haven't seen my Netflix uh, thing lately. I probably ought to watch Netflix. Your conscience probably bug you while you're watching Netflix, right? Netflix gets you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Not the content so much, but it takes you away from doing some of the things God's asked you to do. Or how about when the offering comes around? Anybody ever have trouble every time probably? Actually, your conscience says, you know, God's got a really good financial plan. Do you know there's actually 2,000 verses in the Bible where God says he wants to bless you and take care of you? And, and people think, I don't know if I ought to give or not. I can tell you, that isn't your conscience talking. Your conscience is smarter than that. Your conscience says, hey, this is a good deal. Get on board. He promised to meet your needs and all the needs have plenty left over to give. So your conscience does say something, but if you ignore it long enough, you can pretty soon never give a dime and stay out of God's financial plan. See, I'm just telling you how your conscience works. Learn to obey your conscience. Let him lead you for a while. Do you think it's going to lead you wrong if you've trained it and, and you've uh, got the Spirit working with you? I don't think so. So number one, you know, make decisions um, immediately when your conscience says, you know, just even getting up to spend time with the mor in the morning with the Lord. Your conscience says get up, but your body says no, stay in bed for an extra half hour, right? Conscience is just, it's kind of a pest at times, isn't it? It kind of drives you nuts. Okay, number two, be quick to apologize. This week, my youngest son uh, moved uh, to a new home in Chicago, and I went up to help him for two days, move in and stuff. And, you know, this kid's brilliant. Um, he earns way more money than me. He, he oversees 25 people. He's doing outstanding. Um, it, it, it's interesting, though, when he was growing up, he never wanted to help me around the house on Saturday, work with tools and that. He told me he was an athlete, and uh, he, did, he played college football, but he, he always talked his way out of working. So in his house, we bought a cabinet, a storage cabinet, and you know how you get them in a box and you have to put them together, and you need a screwdriver and a hammer and something else? He didn't know how to use a screwdriver. And it was driving me nuts. Totally brilliant. And he's driving me nuts, and I just... I just I lost it. I said, you know, are you just having a bad day or do you always not know how to do this stuff? <laughs> and, and I realized that was inappropriate. <laughs> you know, I don't have some of the skills he has. And so I just said, hey, forgive me. That was wrong. And, you know, my kids are, about every two or three days, they're used to me knowing I got to ask their forgiveness for something. I'm pretty intense, and, you know, I go for it, and I've just learned it's real good to say I'm sorry. It keeps your conscience clear. It doesn't really mean I should be having to do it every other day like I'm doing it, but it, it does keep your conscience clear, and it's good for you, and it keeps short accounts, and eventually you can kind of laugh at it, but be quick to apologize. If you ever notice, little kids can't apologize. They just don't ever want to say I'm sorry or I did it wrong. I've seen Christians like that. Don't be that stubborn, all right? And then finally, keep healthy relationships. 
I want to be really blunt with you right now. Get rid of some of your friends that live in the gutter all the time. Get some friends. I don't mean the ones you're trying to lead to the Lord, but if they're leading you to the gutter, get rid of them. It'll pull your conscience down. You'll be doing stuff they're doing. You won't be living a God life. That's why we hang out. One of the reasons we hang out in church is because these are hopefully like-minded people that really want to walk with God. And you don't have to look more than two people over to find somebody that made a mistake this week. So it's not like we're a perfect bunch, but we have a goal to be pleasing to God in every way and to make a difference. We have a, a goal to walk in the fullness. You know, in general, people that don't hang around church generally have a weaker conscience. I don't mean some legalistic, you got to do this, this, this. No, you'll know how to flow with the Spirit, and your conscience will flow. I love that little story of um, last week of uh, one of my grandsons named Tate, and he told the story about the prodigal son and how he learned about it. Now, I'm sure Julie and Mike have taught him almost every Bible story. I know Di and I teach our grandkids Bible stories, but I'm convinced that kid learned it in Kingdom Kids. Because the way he told it sounded like a kingdom kid story. I want to tell you something, parents, grandparents. You're having a really bad day, and I could go to saying something stronger. You're having a really bad day if you don't think you need the help of a good kids ministry to raise kids. You need that kind of, you need good, solid people in addition to what you're doing to work with your kids. Teenagers, they go to those, uh, they just had that reverb conference uh, last week or so. Tremendous testimonies come up. See, you put your kids in the right place. It sharpens their conscience. It sharpens their walk with the Lord. I, I see people all the time. They don't do anything with their kids until they're old, and then they bring them in their teenage and say, help us. Uh, we'll help you, but it'd been easier to help you if we started when they were about this tall instead of this tall and pretty stubborn. All right? So you're shaping, you're molding, you're always keeping people in the right environment. But you, you'll find it all the time about all different situations. Get in your family, encourage one another to the right. Mom and dad, they're watching you. You're modeling conscience all the time. You have no conscience? I'll bet you your kids have no conscience. You know, I hate to think of it like that, like father, like son, but it happens so quickly. And so... Um, those three things, again, obey your conscience immediately. Number two, be quick to apologize. Number three, keep healthy relationships. Church, small group, godly friends, godly uh, people around you, just they, they make a total difference. Don't be fooled into thinking you can live in the gutter with gutter friends and walk a godly life. It won't happen. And then we'll come after you, we'll help you, we'll work with you, but you're likely to have shipwrecked faith, and it's a lot harder to bring shipwrecks back than it is to help the boat go the right direction when it's on the water. So just remember that. In summary, a clean conscience is a wonderful way to live. It allows us to live in righteousness, peace, and joy, and life abundant and full and just a wonderful blessing it's not automatic. It takes some training. That's what the church does. But my goal for myself and for each of you is to be able to say what Paul said. We have lived before God with a perfectly clear conscience. 
We've enjoyed this wonderful life, this new and living way. We've lived faithful, fruitful, and godly all the days of our life. I'm in. How about you? All right. I thought you'd agree. Amen. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for a wonderful opportunity to share this message on the conscience. Let it be so that we live this way all the days of our life, be fruitful and abundant in all that we do, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.